Thanks for joining Graham Pelton's Make Mission podcast, where we bring together philanthropy scholars and fundraising practitioners to better understand the world of nonprofit development. What is being studied? What trends affect donor decisions? We'll bridge the gap between theory and practice to understand the future of philanthropy and how to make mission. I'm Anna Shalia, Vice President at Graham Pelton and PhD student studying philanthropy. My mission is to bring theory to practice, to highlight empirical knowledge from the fields of nonprofit management, organizational behavior, and philanthropy, and pair it with practical experience. Who runs the world? Today on Make Mission, we grow our understanding of women's philanthropy, the past and the present in an effort to build an even more equitable and generous future. What causes are women paying attention to and how does their support manifest? How are girls and young women today building philanthropy into their whole self-development? How are women particularly fulfilled by their philanthropic activity and motivated to create change? And most of all, how can they best be served by the organizations they wish to support? We're joined by women's philanthropy researcher, Dr. Elizabeth Gillespie, assistant professor in the Department of Public and Nonprofit Administration at the University of Memphis, and Megan Murphy, global executive director of the International Coalition of Girls Schools, which is at the forefront of building community-minded women leaders among their 370 plus member schools across the globe. Let's go. I'm excited to be here today with Dr. Beth Gillespie and Megan Murphy. Megan, let's start with you. Tell us more about your coalition. Thanks, Anna. I'm so happy to be here with both you and Beth. Um, Our coalition is comprised of several hundred member girls' schools located in 16 countries. We are the leading advocate for girls' schools, and we do that in a way that we are connecting and collaborating globally with individuals, and with schools and with organizations that are as equally dedicated to educating and empowering girls as we are. Our member schools are united in uh, the vision of elevating women's leadership worldwide. And we do that by fostering in our students the skills and the attributes and the talents to be what we think are the ethical, globally-minded change makers that our world really needs. I know your coalition talks about empowering the next generation of global change makers. Tell us more about women and girls empowerment as it's defined by your coalition and how it's lived by your members. Yeah, it's such an important question, Anna. I think in recent years, we have seen people across the globe come together to support one another and develop creative solutions for navigating this new world that we find ourselves in. And our girls' school students have had this incredible, unique opportunity to witness, I think, global change making happening in real time and really um, in an unparalleled way. And what's so inspiring to all of us is that much of the change in the progress has been directed by girls and by women. And so at no other time has there been among girls and young women such a deep sense of shared potential, power, and purpose. Absolutely. Beth, your research focuses on, uh, on women in philanthropy, um, and you had an article, uh, a report last year, Empowerment-Focused Philanthropy, 
Bridging Feminist Theories and Organizational Practice Through U.S. Women's Funds. Can you tell us a little bit more about your, your broader research focus and then specifically about this study? Sure. So broadly speaking, I'm interested in gender equality and efforts by nonprofits and philanthropy to bring about gender equality, create social change that benefits women, girls, families, communities, and so on. So if you think about why a topic like this might be important, the 2020 census confirmed no progress is made between 2015 and 2018 on the gender gap in the U.S. And the World Economic Forum says gender inequalities are increasing in the U.S., So what's the primary way or one of the main ways development aid promotes gender equality? And that's through empowerment. So really what that brings us to is how are people defining empowerment and how are they going about empowering women and girls? And once we know that, then we can study impact and whether empowerment's working and the kind of ripple effect that empowerment for women and girls can have. So the study itself is really looking to Um, compare what the literature says about empowerment and empowerment as a process with the actual work of women's grant-making foundations and funds. Beth, you've mentioned the word empowerment and its role in your research, and you believe that it's a principle that is distinctly feminist. Why is that? Well, empowerment is broadly used by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the United Nations, World Aid. Um, Not a lot of credit given to empowerment, but that is the literature focused on in terms of how to define the empowerment process. So really, women and girls start at some position of powerlessness, right? So they live in a patriarchal society. There are gender norms, roles, stereotypes that sort of work to marginalize or oppress women and girls. But they begin a consciousness-raising process. And through education specifically, they're, they're able to transform their understanding of themselves, their confidence, their self-esteem. They understand power dynamics in a different way, the systems in which they're operating. And from there, they start to come together with other women and girls, and they strategize. And from that strategy comes social action. From social action comes social change. So that's the process as a whole. I've debated on whether it's linear or s- cyclical, but in either case, I think it lead, the point is that it leads to social change that benefits women and girls. The literature often talks about what empowerment might include. So agency and voice, economic empowerment, education, health, ownership of assets, for example. But we also have to keep in mind there's quite a lot of criticism that goes with empowerment, along with the many potential benefits of empowerment. The United Nations has said that Empowerment is important to global aid, and I believe that's true, and I think research would indicate that. But we do have to keep in mind it tends to be a Western perspective. At times, that can be exclusionary, and to make it really about women and girls today, there has to be a way to foster empowerment for others that's inclusive and accepting of diverse populations of women. And then we have to find out if it's really working. Is one empowered woman at a time enough to create social change? Or does that social change has to be systemic or systems-wide in nature? Does one contribute to the other? So these questions still exist in the literature. But what I found was that women's foundations and funds really are doing the work of empowerment. They are, in fact, focused on it. They are um, heavily focused on education and consciousness raising particularly education is their number one or number two funded priority area. So they are giving out grants in the name of women's empowerment. And I think that's important to know. And then it also helps you understand how to cultivate fund development 
and resources and connections and networks through these organizations specifically focused on women's empowerment. That's great. Megan, as you're hearing Beth talk about her research area, I'm hearing some key terms that are used in the coalition's vision statement and your mission statement. Tell me your reactions when you hear about her research. Uh, that, that's exactly right, Anna. Um, if your listeners could see me, I'm nodding my head as as Beth speaks. And Beth, the work that you're doing is so important. Um, you mentioned uh, the United Nations, um, and the United Nations has established achieving gender equality and empowering all women and girls as one of its top sustainable development goals to promote prosperity. And girls' education lies at the heart of that goal. And while I think we can all agree that women and girls have made great strides, there is still a very long way to go. Women are continuing to be underrepresented on the world stage um, in STEM fields and political life and in corporate leadership. And girls' schools are directly and intentionally working to bridge those gaps by giving girls the tools and the confidence that they need not only to succeed in these particular fields, but also to maximize their own potential, no matter what path they choose. When we hear about all of the, the outcomes of an empowered woman, an empowered girl through this process, what are some of the themes that donors are picking up on? What is motivating donors in this space? I think that's a good question. I think the idea in some regards that one empowered woman at a time makes an actual difference and that the themes related to that. So if you already are a donor who supports women and girls, you're likely a woman. Um, research shows you're likely um, perhaps have a higher degree of education. You have some sort of understanding of the benefits that empowerment can bring about. So really, as it pertains to donors, they're looking for methods. Women want to know why you do it, but they want to know how you do it. Um, and it's important for them to understand the impact of their dollar. And so that's why they're very strategic in their funding priorities. So if you think about it, that women's foundations and funds and women's as donors, you can consider experts on the status of women and girls. And if they say education and economic security are those top priority areas, that's where women's dollars are going to funnel to. We do know that, for example, between 2012 and I think 2017, giving to women and girls increased by 34%. And we also know that women tend to give to women. And it equates to around $8 billion a year towards gender equality. So from a donor perspective, yes, you're looking at the organizations that align with your values and your mission and what you hope to achieve. But as organizations, these are women who are already philanthropic and interested in giving to your cause. It's about making sure they understand and know about your organization specifically. So you already have them invested in your cause. Um, and I think that's two important things to keep in mind about women as donors is they want engagement and they want to know um, the return on investment in terms of how women and girls are being empowered. They're very education focused, even as donors in terms of where their dollars are going. Megan, what do you have to add to that? I think many of our women donors and, and men are seeing girls' schools as these incubators for science, for technology, for engineering, um, for design thinking, for um, business, entrepreneurship, and finance. Um, I think donors see our schools as these hubs for 
women to be future leaders in all of these areas where they are not in full force as we would like them to be today. And so really wise, savvy donors, as Beth just described, are investing um, in giving uh, to girls of all ages. Um, they're anxious for girls to have the tools that they need to succeed. And if I can talk about your organization real quickly, when I was going through your website, so much of that aligns with the empowerment process as is. There's a focus on diversity and equity. I believe some of your interest areas were social justice, anti-racism, the STEM fields. All of that is pointing in the right direction. And really, um, as an example of social change agents, creating social change agents, but as an organization being one, right? And fostering empowerment for others in a way that is tangible and that works. And that ranges from greater confidence, as you mentioned, to them having this cultural understanding of the world that inspires them to get into politics and to governance. And that's how social change happens, really. So I just wanted to give kudos to the coalition because of such great work and that it's on point with what research says is necessary to empower women and girls. Thanks, Beth. I really appreciate those comments. You know, women have traditionally been advocates and allies for marginalized communities, and women see the importance of lifting up others' voices. And I think girls' schools are places where this idea of that success for one translates to success for all. I mean, that's really a part of each of our school's ethos, and it's woven into the very fabric, I think, of our school communities. Beth, tell us more about what we know about the way that women give. How do we acquire more donors, more women donors? Let's get specific on, on engaging this donor population. So I believe first things first is meeting them where they are. So that means understanding women as donors and diverse populations of women. But broadly speaking, we know things like single women tend to give more at higher amounts than single men. So you already know that they're philanthropically minded, but let's get specific. So they engage in collaborative giving. They're more likely to give more when they give together and groups, giving circles, things of that nature. They prefer to give online they prefer, and they are the population giving to women and girls. A third of women give to crowdfunding or 40% of all women have given online to crowdfunding in some capacity. So that implication of that is that stories move them, testimonials move them, specific projects and missions move them. 64% of those who give on Giving Tuesday are women. So targeting and tailoring your communication to this population is important. I had someone tell me recently after I presented on women's philanthropy that when she sits down with a couple, um, she always starts with the man and, and doesn't really include the woman in the conversation. The problem with that is that research shows when women are decision makers within that relationship, they have financial income coming in, that they are just as likely to sway the direction of their philanthropic dollars. So I think it's important that they're involved. They like engagement. They want to know about the mission. They want to be have one-to-one um, -one con conversations and connections, but also they're motivated by traditional means. So they want to help a cause. They want to create social change, um, psychological, in the sense of altruism. More research needs to be done on that. Megan, you're hearing Beth talk about what we know about women donors. 
And talking through this research, it would be interesting to hear how the schools and the coalition work with donors. What are some of the best practices that exist? Mm, Excellent question. I think clearly articulating the inherent value in educating girls in all of the ways that we've been talking about today can really help potential donors to see the return on investment that will come from their philanthropic support. You know, not only is it the right thing to do, but it also makes good economic sense. When you invest in girls, we see extraordinarily high dividends. And I think more and more young people, especially young women, want to align themselves with causes that are important and resonant. They see potential for a much larger pool of younger donors um, in women's philanthropy. I also see women seeking out and researching important causes on their own outside of the traditional solicitation channels. And this makes it even more important for our institutions to clearly and compellingly describe their value propositions through all of their forward-facing digital channels. Um, The concept, I think, of intersectionality is also important for many women donors, especially those who find themselves in a financial position, to be able to lift up the voices of others who might not have the same opportunities. And I think that we should be really hopeful because every day, I think that we're seeing examples of women and girls persevering and thriving. And I think that there's really, um, there's real power. And I think that there's forward philanthropic momentum in all of that. Yeah, I think that's right on point. There's um, women's growing philanthropic power connected directly to women's growing economic power. Those two things come together to create social change, all things, you know, growing and considered. So I think what's happening in a lot of respects is that women as donors are more educated than they've ever been before. And they're more, they have access to higher paying jobs than they ever did before. And so if you cultivate those donors young, for example, um, like was mentioned, uh, that's long-term, that's a lifetime investment in terms of they'll become monthly donors. Maybe they only give $10 at the first shot, but within two years, they're giving $20 a month. I think The youth are going to save the world. And part of that means bringing them in to philanthropy as donors um, and then connecting them with these organizations. It's easy for us as women to look at a a girl's school and say, that's where it's at. That's where I want to put my money because you can see you can demonstrate your impact. And I think a lot of nonprofits might struggle to bring women in because Uh, Maybe they can't articulate the ways in which they're being impactful with their dollars, and that's going to be important moving forward. We can't have a conversation about women and philanthropy in 2022 without talking about the philosophy of Melinda French Gates and Mackenzie Scott. And some folks are describing their philanthropy as trust-based philanthropy, meaning that they're going out, they're identifying organizations that they align with, and that they inherently trust. They're saying to the organization, do your thing, but I'm not going to dictate every little move that you take right now. This is a fascinating model, and it's very different from ways that some fundraisers experience or interact with other donors. I'd love to hear from both of you when you see these big headline news stories, these big gifts that are coming from folks like Mackenzie Scott. What's going through your head? Megan, we'll start with you. 
Well, Melinda French Gates went to a girls' school. She graduated from one of our member schools. And so when I think about the future of women's philanthropy, I think of who she was as a second or third grader um, in an all-girls school classroom. And our girls' schools are very, very focused on student um, financial and philanthropic literacy. We see it as a really important core competency. Um, a girl's ability to understand how money works is the foundation of being able to provide for her own future. And so the financial and philanthropic literacy programs at our girls' schools teach students about purchasing, earning, budgeting, saving, investing, and then eventually giving. And I have to tell you, there is nothing that's more fun than to be in a classroom and watch girls, say, age 12 or so, learn about compounding interest and the importance of saving and investing early. I mean, it is quite the aha moment. And at girls' schools, we, we want students to think a lot and to have a lot of experience about making, designing, pitching. And to learn a lot about entrepreneurship in general, I've attended a couple Shark Tank-like entrepreneur events at our girls' schools. And let me tell you, that excitement is palpable. And then I think for older students at our schools, um, we work with them about charitable giving decisions. And they learn about aligning those decisions to their values and how to analyze charitable tax forms in order to make high social impact investments. Um, we know for girls that it's really important to, to see it to be it and to be the change that they wish to see. And as our girls' schools are really committed to diversity and equity, justice and belonging, and girls' schools as places that really challenge limits and explore new possibilities. I think the combination of this financial and philanthropic know-how, along with being empowered in one's own voice and excited about one's own vision, is why our world's women philanthropists, I think, will come more and more from our girls' schools. Fantastic. Yeah, that was a lovely response. I 100% I support all of that. I'm going to bring it down a notch for one second. <laughs> so I think what's important to be able to offer context and why their philanthropy is so different is to understand why foundations are so heavily criticized. Part of that is you have wealthy elite defining social change, defining social movements, in a sense, co-opting grassroots organizations, co-opting that. So we're okay if you work on this social issue, but we want you to stay away from this social issue. So it pulls the momentum from the social movement, from the cause. And they've been criticized for not actually funding social change organizations, but rather the wealthiest nonprofits and benefit the wealthiest of families. So that's the criticism of foundation grant making. When you look at what Melinda Frenchgate and Mackenzie Scott are doing, is they're taking that mold and they're saying that doesn't work. And let us, let us take our billions of dollars and we're going to identify smaller organizations. Um, historically, um, black colleges and universities, we're going to give our money there that are underfunded anyways. They're not saying necessarily how the money is supposed to be spent. They're giving judgment and trusting what are experts at the ground level and the trenches. These are the experts of these social issues, and they're doing the hard work. And these wealthy high net worth givers that are women 
are willing to invest in new programs, invest in new organizations, try different ideas, do different best practices. And so what they're doing is saying the status quo of philanthropy does not work and we're here to change the game. And I think there's tremendous potential for them to use their power and influence to legitimately make a difference. We all talk about making a difference. They have the power to do so. And, And so what I hope with that is that they use some of that money to cultivate women and girls as philanthropists because it only builds the collective power. There's power in numbers. We know that philanthropy is a source of power. Money is a source of power. You bring those together with multiple women working as a collective um, and the world would never be the same, right? So I hope that's what they include in their philanthropy, but their philanthropy is challenging the traditional methods of philanthropy. It's certainly inspiring the conversation and it will be fascinating to see some of those initial, um, specifically the Mackenzie Scott gifts, how those organizations were impacted over time. That a five-year study is going to be really interesting. I was going to say, imagine being a small, medium-sized organization and you're suddenly receiving a grant and maybe you can use some of that on operating expenses and overhead. How, how do nonprofits pursue their mission if they don't have that kind of support? So it's taken away from this idea that you can only give to the program and let's give to the organization so they can best meet the needs of what they're doing. So let's end with this. I'd love to get your thoughts on the future of women's philanthropy. I love this question because I like to think of it both on the bigger picture perspective and the more micro level. So bigger picture perspective, money is power and philanthropy is power. Women's growing economic power directly equates to their growing philanthropic power, which directly equates to their ability to create social change. So let's just, for fun, let's draw some statistics to sort of paint a picture of what's to come. We already know women have access to um, higher paying jobs than ever before, currently control a third of all U.S. wealth. When has that ever happened in all of human history, right? By 2030, it's said that women will control two thirds of U.S. wealth. Two thirds. I mean, that's really saying we are now the influence. We are now the source of power. They add five trillion annually to their global wealth. That outpaces the whole market. 13.7% 13.7% of all high um, net worth donors are women, increasing 31% annually. Outpace, number of wealthy women outpacing that of number of wealthy men. Half of millionaires are women. All of that is to say that while we remain relegated to the bottom rungs of the economic ladder, right, um, more women are in poverty, um, experience economic hardships than men, there's evidence of optimism. There's evidence of hope that with women's continued um, economic power, that they will also direct their money into philanthropic dollars. So that's the trend that I see on the bigger picture scale. Also, their focus on empowerment. That is touted as a proven method to improve development, communities, families, that there's a growing interest in, in that is important. Most important, continued collaborations, initiatives, coalitions, anything of that nature, women's Philanthropists want to work together. They understand their strength in numbers. Um, And then finally, I would point to the fact that fund development and fundraising is starting to pay attention to women as donors specifically. And women can leverage their dollars, their power to benefit women and girls in their broader community. So 
as nonprofits, as women continue to be the face of philanthropy, um, nonprofits will be vying for their money. And um, so nonprofits need to um, get up to date with new ways of thinking about philanthropy, new ideas and approaches to social issues, because that's what women want to fund. So much of what Beth said was so important. And in this moment um, of incredible disruption that, that we have experienced, it's a real time for reflection and I think inflection. And I think more and more, we're going to see that women will be asserting themselves to be the change they wish to see in the world. All of our most challenging world's issues, whether it's global pandemics or uh, political polarization or poverty or inequality or, or racism, all of those challenges are global in nature and we need more women around the table of decision-making and problem-solving to truly address those systemic global um, challenges. And I think we're going to see more and more women asserting themselves to um, have that voice at the table to make an impact and to be the change they wish to see in the world. Thank you for joining Graham Pelton's Make Mission podcast. Our mission is to elevate philanthropy so nonprofits can flourish. To learn how we do it, visit podcast.grampelton.com.